Welcome to the world of critical care. Today will be a slightly shorter episode. Originally, I wanted to discuss platelets, but as I started to dig into platelets, I realized I think it makes more sense to start with a discussion of cryo and then have the following episode on platelets. And in many ways, because cryo naturally flows from our previous discussion of fresh frozen plasma. And so on Friday, I'll release an episode on platelets. It'll be a bit of a longer episode because I think to understand why we administer platelets, you really do have to get into a little bit of the clotting cascade and we kind of start talking about the way in which a clot is formed. I also think platelets are unique in that they have roles in our immune system that's worthwhile to discuss. And so that will just be a bit longer of an episode. And so today we're going to focus on cryo. Generally, how is it formed? Why would we administer it? And then this will kind of naturally then flow into our discussion of platelets. Now, after this, I think it's going to be worthwhile for us to spend a few episodes on the clotting cascade and coagulation. It's something that we start really touching on as we talk about blood products. And I think the clotting cascade is really valuable to understand in critical care because there is a lot of complexity to it, but there's also ways in which we can simplify it to help look at our clinical picture, to help inform our decision-making. And even if you're not at a decision-making level, it can help you, even if you're a bedside nurse, to help look at the whole picture and provide the relevant, relevant information that you need to give to the people making the decisions. And so again, it's not just for people at the, at the decision-making level. It's your mid-levels, it's your bedside nurses. It can all benefit from understanding the clotting cascade and then understanding how we are able to intervene when we have deficiencies or irregularities or complications. After that, I think it'd be great for us to have a, a multiple episode discussion of anticoagulation and some of the associated labs. I think in critical care, it is so common for us to be looking at situations where we're trying to anticoagulate a patient, we're trying to reverse it, we're having a bleeding patient. And so these are topics that I often have found as I train people in critical care, that there tends to be generally a lack of, of, of baseline knowledge about. And I think in many ways, even myself, I find regularly having to re-remind myself about a lot of these different interventions and these different and pathophysiologies associated with coagulation. And so I do look forward to really it's going to be a couple months as we really jump into this topic at a greater level. So let's take the step back and talk about what we're wanting to talk about today, which is cryo. So cryo is typically called cryoprecipitate. Cryoprecipitate is formed from fresh frozen plasma. So we have fresh frozen plasma and it is frozen, so you can thaw it. And once we have it thawed, we can centrifuge the FFP. When we centrifuge it, it we typically get a precipitate that forms. And we can remove that precipitate. And then generally that precipitate is then going to be reconstituted because, it again, it's like a powder, crystalline powder. We're going to then be able to re suspended in solution, usually with like 10 to 20 mils of FFP, and then that is frozen. Now, the nice thing about cryo is that when it's frozen, it can last for almost a year. And so because of that, 
the 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 ability to have it stored and the it it's quite simple in many ways from from a blood product standpoint it's not like platelets where we get them and then we have about a week after we harvest platelets so that's one of the advantages of cryo now once cryo is thawed typically we have about six hours to administer it so what on earth is cryo so cryo is typically very rich in fibrinogen we have some factor eight factor 13 and we have some von Willebrand factor. Now, what's really important though, is the fibrinogen. Because the fibrinogen is often what is deficient and what we are replacing when we use cryo versus FFP. Most of the situations where we could use FFP or cryo, typically FFP would be used before cryo. There are two very common situations where we would use cryo. Number one is massive hemorrhage, and specifically, we're talking about a mass transfusion protocol. Again, every hospital has different protocols. Many of the common protocols out there today do suggest, as we're doing our administration rounds with proper ratios, administering the cryo. Now, it's important to understand terminology with cryo because I think it gets a little confusing. So the first time I administered cryo, I remember I had a nurse practitioner come up to me and she said, okay, I want you to give a 10 pack of cryo. And I thought to myself, what on earth is a 10 pack? Like, like what unit is that? And so it took me a few times to finally figure out what on earth is that? So typically cryo, is in one bag, you're typically, it's about five quote unquote units. And it's usually, again, reconstituted around 20-ish mils. I, every time it's a little different. There have been times I've administered cryo and I feel like I have like 35 mils. And there's times that I think it literally says like 20 mils. So the, the exact amount varies, but it's important to note that typically one bag is five units. So the 10 pack is kind of that quote unquote 10 units. And the bags that cryo come in are often very different in terms of how the blood bags look. They're typically, they look like they're not very full at all. They're typically kind of an amber color. It's just important to understand that if they ask you to give a 10 pack of cryo, you're going to have two bags to administer and not just one. And so that's quite important. And it's something that it just takes time. I remember my first time I had two bags and I'm thinking, wait, do I give both? Do I give one? And again, that's an important thing to understand when you see both. Yes, you're going to give both. Now, it's also important to understand with cryo, we're going to, again, yes, we will use a blood filter. So with all of our blood products, we're going to use a blood filter. As with most other blood products, yes, we do have a potential risk for a transfusion-associated reaction. Remember, Cryo is going to be reconstituted in fresh frozen plasma. Again, like usually somewhere 10, 20, 25 mils worth approximately. And so because of that, we can still have the same associated reactions that we have with fresh frozen plasma or packed red blood cells. Now, cryo, there's one really critical thing when we administer it. We do not give it through a mass transfuser. 
The problem again is that because it's so concentrated, and if it does interact with our platelets and our in our red blood cells, we can potentially create a situation where we can have coagulation occurring. And so that's something where we do not give them in a mass transfuser. In terms of rate of administration, because it's such a small amount, again, we're gonna use an isotonic normal saline when we administer it. More often than not, if it's a mass transfusion situation, I give it gravity. If I have a nice large bore, you know, introducer, I've got an HD line or something I'm administering it through, I just give it gravity. Typically it flows in great. You can flush it and it's done in five minutes and it's easy. There are times where I might put it in a pressure bag if I'm doing it gravity and just provide a tiny bit of pressure. Sometimes it just needs that little bit of help if the line is a little sluggish. Otherwise, if you have time or you have someone to delegate it to, because mass transfusion is always a little crazy, put it in a blood pump, put it in your blood tubing in a pump, and then a lot of times I administer it pretty rapidly because, again, if we're thinking about mass transfusion, we're a little bit less focused on the potential effects from the blood products and we're more concerned again with the correcting the hemorrhage and so because of that typically i give that 300 mils an hour or i'll put it in at 500 mils an hour the important part is getting it in because we're tracking our our ratios of blood products that we're administering in rounds in a mass transfusion situation now if it's a non-critical situation i just follow my normal hospital policy in, especially if it's post-surgical, it's not a critical situation. I just, whatever that blood bank, you know, whatever our protocol has, I usually follow that. If it's a little more critical post-surgical bleeding, again, I usually will administer it. Again, just gravity because it's simple, it's easy, and it's over with, and essentially. And, and, because, and again, too, I think some of my circulatory overload concerns are significantly diminished with cryo because we're talking about you know, 50 mils total between the two bags. And so because of that, again, some of my issues are mitigated in terms of my volume overload. And so I don't mind really administering it gravity. It's just important to remember to administer the second bag when you're done. Now, we've talked about generally the administration of cryo. It's important to talk about the two main reasons we give it in critical care. Now, there are a host of other reasons why you might administer cryo. But again, like we've talked about, every intensivist critical care provider will have different theories on how we might correct specific situations. So some providers might prefer cryo, others might use FFP. And so in general, I'm going to talk about two of the most common reasons. So the first and foremost, we just mentioned massive transfusion. Again, I'll have a separate episode on mass, massive transfusion protocols and, and kind of why there are specific standards in terms of the ratios we give and the rounds of those ratios. But often in the initial rounds of mass transfusion, 10 packs of cryo are administered because, again, if we have massive bleeding, there are situations in which we need to comprehensively replace what is being lost. And again, cryo, we have that fibrinogen in there, and that fibrinogen is critical for clot formation. Without the fibrinogen, we are unable to have those critical cross-linking that we get with 
in when our platelet aggregation. And so because of that, we need fibrinogen. The other reason that it's often given is when we're doing some more detailed analysis in terms of why we're having an issue with clotting. This is really common in the post-surgical world and in the anesthesia world. When we have a patient, we're having fairly significant surgical, post-surgical bleeding, and we're trying to understand, okay, where is it in the clotting cascade specifically that we're having issues? And so because of our question, there are certain types of labs we can use to help understand what exactly is going wrong. And so one of the really common labs that are used is called a TEG. So a TEG is a thromboelastograph. And what this essentially does is it takes, it takes a sample of our blood and we're able to look at clot formation over approximately 30 minutes. And over this time, we're able to get some specific numbers in terms of, in terms of the way in which the clot is formed. But what we also get is this picture called a thromboelastogram. And so it shows the shape of our clot formation. So through these numbers and the shape, we're able to understand the way in which the blood clots. Now there's a side effect of this, or, or not a side effect, but we'd really call it a downside of this, and that it takes 30 minutes or so for us to get results. But because of this, we are able to understand very specifically how we can help the patient clot correctly. And so for example, if we look at our clot and we see, oh, based upon that shape, we clearly have lower dysfunctional platelets. Okay, we're gonna give platelets. Oh, we clearly have a clotting factor deficiency. Okay, we're gonna give FFP. Maybe we look at a situation though, and based on this shape, we clearly see a fibrinogen deficiency. If we see that, we say, okay, cryoprecipitate would be the perfect solution. We don't really need to give FFP. We can just give cryo and we're able to correct the fibrinogen deficiency. And so this is one of the more common reasons I, I personally have given cryo in being in a cardiovascular ICU, where we have a patient, we're having pretty significant post-operative bleeding. We run a tag, sure enough, based upon the shape, the numbers, we have fibrinogen deficiency, we give a 10 pack of cryo, and typically we see pretty good improvement. And, and that's one of the advantages of being able to really dial in on the exact reason why we're having our bleeding issue. And so cryo tends to be more specific in terms of how we use it. There are a host of different situations where cryo might also be used. And again, I think it really depends on just the providers with, it can be used in situations in TPA reversal, I've read about it being used in situations of DIC. There are times when maybe cryo is not a first line therapy, but it might be a second line therapy. So we might be looking at hemophilia, von Willebrand factor disease again, where typically cryo is not our first line, but if that's what we have to use, it could be used in those situations. And so again, I think it's really helpful from a critical someone in the critical care world to sort of understand okay here's why we might give cryo versus not and i think it's always really important to understand what is at the root of our bleeding 
That's something that I've really appreciated with some of our critical care physicians I've worked with over the years. Some of them really get specific on trying to understand, okay, what is at the root of our bleeding? And I found that more and more often I'm seeing the tags used to really guide the inquiry so that we can really treat the patient correctly. And that's something I've really appreciated over the years and why I've seen cryo used fairly significantly, specifically in the post-operative world, but also again with our massive transfusion patients, because again, we're looking at fibrinogen being such a critical component when we talk about clot formation. So I appreciate you guys listening today. I know this was sort of a shorter episode on cryo. It's, again, not the most complex blood product that's given and honestly not the most frequent blood product that's given. But I think it's worthwhile having this discussion. With that being said, the next episode will be released on Friday, and that's going to cover platelets. I've also been really thankful for the feedback from so many different people who've listened to the episodes and given feedback just on the audio quality and kind of the flow of the episodes and how much depth to go into or not to go into. And so I would love feedback. So if you have any thoughts or suggestions, please comment on these episodes and let me know what you think. In general, my plan moving forward is to try to provide more show notes. So typically for these episodes, I type up kind of all of my research I do. So I typically will read for three to four hours, sometimes up to six hours per episode. And I create a Word document that's about two to three pages long with all of my notes. And so moving forward, starting on Friday, I'm going to try to have that document attached to every episode, and then also provide a few links to some of the resources that I used if you really want to jump into some of these topics at a greater level. And then as always, I'm working on the audio quality, and I just hope that that continues to improve over time. And I'm pretty committed to trying to stay under 20 minutes per episode. And I think the platelet episode might be right on that line, but I'm really going to try to stay under 20 minutes per episode. So with all of that, thanks for listening, and I look forward to releasing the next episode on platelets.